Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, questions to ask candidate references, part two. What about another factual question? What's another one you could ask? Well, could you confirm the job title for me, please? Right? Seems pretty simple. Almost, yeah. almost not worth asking. But why yeah. would you ask that? M- many companies tell their managers that you, meaning the manager, can't talk to them. But we, meaning HR, can. And again, guys, there are legal reasons for doing this, but it's enormously, enormously inefficient. Okay, HR gets a bunch of calls every day and they don't want to return the ones about references because they know they can't share anything, but they feel obligated to. Anyway, um, that's a whole nother, that's a series about HR. And they tell the manager that in addition to the dates of employment, they, HR, will also confirm what the job title was. Now, in our case, we're asking for two reasons. First, we want to know the actual job title. <laughs> okay. Remember now, we still haven't made an offer and we're looking for reasons to say no. Sadly, very few people still believe that references are going to be checked, even when you tell them we're going to check references. (laughs) And job titles are often doctored, unfortunately. The second reason is we want the reference to still feel we are asking questions they can't get in trouble for answering. If the job title doesn't match... Exactly. Is, is that a grounds for immediate concern? No, it's not. No, okay. it, it isn't. Okay. There, there's enough lack of clarity within firms themselves that sometimes there's some wiggle room. Okay. There are enough subtleties that we could and, and might yet still put together a cast just on the kinds of differentiation we might suggest are, are reasonable. Right. Because there, there might be, you know, that the candidate may in fact be trying to take an internal title and, and turn it into something that's widely in, understood within their industry or a different industry, for example. Yeah, the, the worst example is people telling military people to civilianize their resumes. It's just, it's ludicrous. I mean, it's <laughs> literally ludicrous. Plaid, um, plaid even, maybe. Yeah, plaid, straight to plaid, yeah. Okay, so uh, uh, as a general rule, the bigger the company, the more clear job titles are because it has to be understood by more people. And there are certain titles that generally mean certain things. Here are a very, very short list of things that would catch our eye. The first one ought to be obvious, which is the use of the title manager if a person doesn't have a direct, any directs, or a budget. Okay. Now, these two things alone are not dispositive. In other words, they don't dispose of the the question. Okay. But manager implies either having direct reports or a budget, or both of those things. And look, guys, again, we know that there are individual contributors that are legitimately called manager, and they don't have a budget. We know that. We're saying usually it's the case, okay? Uh, We would recommend concern if there is a pattern of discrepancy, and this one, the use of the term manager, when in fact you're not certain that actually the manager title is theirs, we would just suggest concern. If they put down manager, they don't have a budget, they don't have any directs based on their job title, and then you ask someone what was their job title and they don't list it as a manager and they were the supervisor or they were they worked closer with that person at that time, that would be a significant red flag for me. Yeah. Well, particularly d- during the interview, if they led you to believe something other than that. Yeah. Look, yeah. In, in the event... Um, someone uses manager when the reference says team leader or supervisor, we still would suggest there's a little bit of a concern there. 
It's a judgment call, but manager generally implies more responsibility in most places, and it's reasonable to expect a professional to understand the distinction. We can forgive a little bit of lack of clarity. We couldn't forgive a pattern, particularly if it was all around job titles. That would really bother us. Another one is use of the title director, um, when in fact the person didn't have managers reporting to them. Now, director as a title, as a, as a, as a class of title, has a broader, less pre precisely defined usage. And so, again, we'd probably be more flexible. But director generally does imply a manager of managers. And again, this is a thing where we're looking for a pattern. And yes, it's possible somebody could die the death of a thousand cuts, even though this alone is probably unworthy of scrutiny. scrutiny. And then if they're at a larger company, a known company, and they have these patterns, the bigger the company, the more carefully titles are managed. Any pattern of difference with a company, if they had three jobs and all three of the titles are different than what the references say, and the titles that the candidate used or are claimed appear to make them sound better than they actually were, or if they tell you at a very big company, oh yeah, that's how that company does it, but in fact that doesn't sound right to you, then you're probably right and you've got a concern worth going over. Some people might go back to the candidate and go, I'm a little concerned here. I hate to bring this up, but you claimed you were a director, but you didn't have any managers reporting to you. And if they repeat that, oh, that's how my company did it, when in fact one of the references said, we don't do that. He wasn't a director. I mean, there were people who were his peers who were directors. He was a manager and he reported to a VP, but he didn't have any managers reporting to him. It was a special role. Then, you know, I, I think it's fair to say there's a chance this person might be misleading us. Now, some of you are listening and saying, well, gosh, I mean, I don't want to rule the guy out just because there's a chance. We understand that point of view. And we're not saying you're wrong. We are saying you're going to be less effective as an interviewer. The purpose of interviewing is to find reasons to say no. If in doubt, say no. So I got a little tangent there, but for all the situations I just mentioned, if there were a discrepancy between the title given and the one the candidates used, It'd be completely reasonable for you to share what was on the resume or said in the interview to give the reference the chance to say something like, oh, yeah, yeah, dude, totally. We, the term manager and supervisor here are totally interchangeable. Depending on what part of the business you're in, manager has a budget and directs someplace else. Supervisor has budget and direct. Don't worry about that. It's the same. Okay. Now, well, look, that isn't a great answer. And unfortunately, you may have to assess whether or not the reference is just covering the candidate's backside. But it is, even though it's not a great answer, it is one we would probably counsel giving the benefit of the doubt to you on um, if it were the sole discrepancy in, uh, in someone's reference checking process. And again, just to be clear, this is a case where you do not give the job title, but ask you ask the reference to say what the job title was. Oh, good point. Okay? Good point. Yeah. Again, that's the difference between validation and, and the more passive confirmation. We want them to validate what we know without them knowing what we know. How about asking them to comment on the accuracy of the of the job description that I was given. Is that is that going too far? Is that is that an appropriate no, question? Totally good. Totally good. good. Again, here we're still talking basically about facts, which are which is a job description, right? That's what we're doing. But now 
We're asking for comments. We're leading them to the point where they're going to be willing to be more expansive. So then this is a case where we're not asking them for the job description, which probably, frankly, they couldn't give. You're, you're actually going to read the job description the candidate gave, right? Yeah, we're asking for candidates on the description that we're going to read to them. And, and the, the point here is the core of the question, a job description, stays benign, but we're asking them for elaboration by asking for a comment. Okay, we've, we've changed the timber, the tone of our question while still staying in the realm of, of facts and figures, if you will. You're a tricky man, Mr. Horsey. <laughs> really, I'm not, I, guys, we're not trying to be tricky. We're asking carefully worded questions the same way we do in an interview, okay? And look, I'm amazed at people who ask sloppy interview questions, get less than crisp answers and then question why somebody's not a great communicator once they come to work. Really? Dude, the single most frequent per thing the person's going to do at the office is communicate and you're not going to assess their communication skills? <laughs> no. Come on. You know, they're dumb. Okay. So, and to your point, we read the job description from the candidate's resume. And obviously, we're reading the job description for a job that the reference would have known them to have done that they would have some knowledge about what the job actually was, okay? One would hope. Yeah. Now, look, us reading the job description from the resume, which by definition will not be the actual job description for the company, gives the reference some wiggle room. Because, again, we, don't, we wouldn't require the candidate to precisely reproduce the official job description. And, again, that's why asking for comments is allowable here in the mind of the reference and references understand this because they know they're reading they're hearing a distillation of the actual job description in order to make it fit on the resume so they're going to expand because they're talking about a factual thing that has been modified as a function of the interviewing process and resumes and so on and that's what we want. We want them feeling more expansive. Up until now, they've been answer, asking, answering factual questions. Now we want them to be expansive about a, a factual topic. And in the majority of situations, the reference will make some comment about the description being basically true, but then they comment in some other way that is helpful as well. Hmm. And look, if, an, if a reference up until this point has been fairly tight-lipped, you can actually ask this question in two parts to increase the chances that you get more meaningful elaboration. The first question would be a purely factual one. For instance, the job we're considering Allie for will have a budget of X. In her job description, she states that she managed a budget of Y. Is that reasonably accurate to your recollection? Okay. Once you've gotten that answer, it's easy to simply expand to the entire, entire job description, you would say, let me just briefly read you the entire job description and then ask for your comments as well. If you haven't felt warmth or openness up until now, starting with a really specific factual question about a part of the job description, and then expanding in the second part of the question to comment on the entire job description, people think that's completely reasonable. And... Obviously, a discrepancy in the budget that wasn't a rounding error might be noteworthy in this particular example where we asked for budget facts. What about doing things to 
assist kind of in terms of building rapport. At some point, we're going to get into asking more illuminating questions, perhaps. Um, what can we do to, to help build rapport? Yeah, it probably goes without saying, but we're not expecting gross discrepancies to be commonplace between what the candidate has told us, what's on the resume, and what we're getting from the references. If someone's made it through the entire interviewing process, a tough interviewing process, you should have discovered already if they're willing and able to intentionally mislead you in a printed document, okay? Therefore, it should be easy for us to be verbally thankful for every answer we get. We want the reference to relax as often as is reasonable without sucking up to them. We say thank you and express appreciation for the time and the candor that is shown, particularly if they expand beyond just the factual answers. Okay, so now we've built rapport. We've asked some simple factual questions, right? And hopefully the person we're talking to now trust us and we have some kind of rapport built up there. So now it's time to get into more substantive questions. Yeah. We hope that through simple, benign questions and answers responded to with thankfulness, that the reference has relaxed enough that we're going to get more expansive answers to these deeper questions. Now, I want to say it again. At no time what must we ever express frustration or disappointment with a reference who hews too tightly, in our mind, to a narrow answering of the questions. Just the facts, ma'am, if you will. That'll destroy any trust we've built, and it's, it, it's not professional to do so. If you express anger at a manager doing the perfectly correct thing, is to suggest that your technique was inherently flawed. And this technique is not flawed. Let me ask you that question in a different way. What about expressing frustration or disappointment in the candidate, him or herself, while you're talking to the reference? What do you think there? If you, if you discover some flaw in, for example, some discrepancy between what the candidate said on his or her resume and what the reference is telling you. It wouldn't bother me terribly. I probably wouldn't do it because um, it, it would depend on the situation. It would depend on the flaw. But I don't need to tell the, the reference the gap between what the candidates told me versus what the references told me. And I don't want to put the reference in a situation where they believe that they were the reason the candidate didn't get the offer. Um, because everything, everything is the candidate's responsibility. It's not the reference's fault that the candidate doesn't get an offer. It's always the candidate's fault. So there are times where I could say, I'm a little concerned but it's a gray area because he said this and you're saying that. And what's going to happen is you're going to get the reference scrambling. At that point, you're going to leave the reference saying, I'm going to be a lot more careful. And so the chances of getting any more revelations are virtually down to zero at that point. So I don't, I don't recommend it. Now, it may be there are times where, gosh, that's a little bit different than what I heard. I'll just write that down. And then say, they might say, well, what did you hear? Well, I heard this. And then, then they get a chance to say, dude, don't worry. Supervisor and team lead are the same things at my company. Oh, okay. No worries then. But generally speaking, no. Uh, th this is between you and the candidate. And the reference is related to the candidate and not to you. And you don't want to try to get between the reference and the candidate. That doesn't make sense. And it doesn't further what you want to get done. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, right? Okay, so... What are some of those substantive questions we can ask? Okay, so the Project X question. This is one of my favorites. I was told about Project X. Can you confirm his involvement? And again, that's a factual question. 
But then the second part is, can you tell me about the results of that project? And this is a two-part construction designed to smooth the transition that we're making here from facts to opinions, from surface to more substantive, okay? In this case, you don't actually have to make it about a project, but rather about anything specific, either discussed in the interviews or stated on the resumes that you have enough information on to gather, to compare to what the reference tells you. We just like talking about Project X here at Manager Jewels. <laughs> it's a great um, project. Yeah, it is. Someday there'll be a play, Project X. The bigger, more important the project, the more likely you're going to get a good answer because the reference thinks you're validating the scope of the candidate's involvement rather than his strengths and weaknesses, as, as an example, okay? The results part will often, the second part of the question after you validate can you confirm he was involved? Um, first of all, by the way, they don't just confirm. They say, yeah, his involvement was X, which again is an expansive area, which is good because you know what the candidate has said and you want to compare what the candidate has said with what the reference has said. The results part, the second part of the question is often going to be assumed by the reference as validation of whatever the candidate has told you, whether they've told you anything in detail or not. And again, the question transitions the conversation from surface facts, which are black and white and don't tell you a lot, to more depth about the candidate, which is what we want. Okay. How about what was his best contribution? Yeah, this is this is asking for information about, in this case, our, our fictitious candidate, Ali, about Ali's strengths or about a specific accomplishment or a significant accomplishment. At this point, hopefully, the transition from validating facts to sharing insights has been made with the reference and they're willing to be a little bit more voluble. It does happen that you'll get a reference who will stick to the party line. And again, we respect that. If so, there's nothing wrong with asking this question, knowing full well you won't get a good answer. But you never know. Maybe at this point, they'll remember they were chosen to be a reference and they're supposed to help the candidate. But frankly, most references at this point are already willing to be open at this point in the process. Okay, let's get a little bit deeper. Let's make it a little bit harder. How about a question, what would you say his areas for improvement are? Look, every reference knows that they're, the candidate is being interviewed. They know they're being asked strength and weakness questions. This question has to follow the previous one about strengths or best contribution because they come as a pair, strengths and weaknesses, so often when people get interviewed. In most cases, the outline, the approach we've, we've laid out here works really well, even with legally minded managers or legally careful managers. And you learn some new information about a, a potential weakness, despite it being perhaps against the rules for the manager to share it. Right. And I noticed you didn't say, you know, share with me his weaknesses, right? You yeah, didn't, you, you don't. You didn't use the yeah. term weaknesses. Yeah, because you're a positive-minded person. That's what you're sending. You're not looking for reasons to say no. To, you don't want to broadcast, I'm looking for reasons to rule this person out. Asking for areas of opportunity says, if we hire this person, we know we're going to have to develop them. What should we be preparing for? There you go. Yeah. Now, look, to be clear, this is not to say you're going to learn something bad. If you're a good interviewer and you followed a professional process, it's unlikely that there's going to be some dark revelation here. You're going to already know what the candidate thinks their weaknesses are. But in light of our purpose to say no, 
The fact that it's not guaranteed that you won't learn anything of concern justifies asking the question because it's possible you might. Okay. So how about sharing with the the reference what you intend to have this person do, sharing with them the role and asking them about fit. Is that appropriate? Yeah. We're looking at them for role X. How would you assess that fit? And this is almost the last question. Once a reference is relaxed enough to answer the previous questions, if they've done so, this question asks them directly to apply their wisdom and their insight to help you assess something. Very few managers can resist the call to their ego here. <laughs> um, and once they engage that assessment hat, they're unlikely to be perfectly positive about somebody. Okay. And in this case, the negatives are what we're hoping to hear. Hopefully, if we're thinking about hiring somebody, we already have plenty of positives in our in our bag of tricks. We don't expect to hear anything that on its own is a knockout punch. But if this question gives us the fifth of five negatives that are all in the same vein, if they're in an area where a strength is necessary for the job we're going to consider this person for, that's another one of those areas that you start raising a red flag and go, gee, you know, okay, I've got some more information here. How do I want to compare that to the the information I already have. How about getting even more direct? Is it appropriate to ask the person whether or not they have any concerns about this person coming to work for you? This is the, the last question. If you were me or my firm, any concerns about employing him or her? Interestingly enough, you get 40% of the time you get not only no, but gee whiz, this person's awesome. You're, you know, you're crazy not to hire them. I always hope that the references will set aside the negatives and say, dude, you've been asking me very careful questions and I've been helpful and you're crazy. This guy's good. We're all human and I'm not being interviewed, so I'm being candid. But if I were being the one interviewed, I wouldn't have been nearly as candid about my own weaknesses. But look, once you've asked for assessment in the previous question, don't be surprised at the willingness to be for references to be what I would call dumb honest which is saying something true that could damage the candidate's opportunities, even if it was taken in isolation. Again, we're looking for things to be concerned about. And the beauty of that is, guys, I know you're thinking, gosh, Mark is so hard on hiring. Yeah, I am. I admit it, okay? And the beauty of this is everyone on your team knows you're protecting them from somebody being hired as a mistake. Further, if somebody gets hired after going through a tough process, they're going to realize the bar has been set high and the hiring means something. The offer means something to, to them. Further, if you go through this process looking for reasons to say no and you can't find any, your yes will be that much more enthusiastic and you'll be excited about bringing the person on board. That's why this is constructed the way it is. And that's why the reference checking is designed to ferret out potential weaknesses that the candidate is not gonna just spoon feed you during the interview because they're gonna to try to be smart honest rather than dumb honest. Yeah, and look, if you're gonna check references then why not do it in a way that gives you the greatest opportunity of finding something useful to making the hiring decision? Yeah, look, look um, let's just wrap up here. Checking references is an avoiding disaster step, right? We start with an admission and some factual questions, and then we're always thankful to build support, to build rapport, and then we progress to the more substantive questions designed to relax the, the, the reference and to get more information to help us make a better decision. And look, managers who check references this way get better at checking them because they have a process. 
and they can modify the process that they go through rather than just saying, hey, tell me about this guy. I'm, I've interviewed him. What do you think of him? And that's just lame. Don't even bother asking that question to people. That question to people. It's best to have a standard approach. Uh, you'll be able to modify it. One of the reasons for standard processing is creating a baseline. If you're going to do it, if you're going to check references, and dear God, what would happen if you didn't and, and you discover there's a mistake? It starts with a simple plan. And if a reference leaves you with doubts about people, what do you think the people who weren't listed as references would have said? So you got to do it. You might as well do it right. And when you get good at this, after you've done it five or six or seven times, you're going to wonder how you ever got by without doing it this way. No doubt. All right, my friend. Thank you. You bet, partner. That was awesome. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this series. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one.